0: <clears throat> comes from Hebrews 10. We'll start in verse 16. And um, I think it's interesting as mean obviously knowing at least some of what the message is going to be about and hearing it through the worship that we already had, hearing it through the prayers already. Um, that's an exciting thing. It's one of those other, whether you want to see it as a big thing, a little thing, but seeing that God is alive, he's real, he moves You know, Chelsea had reached out to me and said, hey, what asked about the worship for today? Just to, you know, sometimes we want to make sure the worship meshes with the uh, message. Which I think as long as you're singing about God, that works. But um, it was neat even in that same way to see through the worship. um, How that, the Lord just wove all that together. Um, And I think too, with last week we were in Isaiah 55 um, with the Wednesday nights, and I know when Pastor Greg comes back, he's going to be in Hebrews 10, so him and I had a conversation. I okayed it with him, because I said, I don't want to be stepped on your toes, and he said, whatever the Lord's leading you to do, um, because this is what the Lord laid on my heart when he asked me a couple weeks to, to teach. So, and you know what, he, he's going to be bringing out much different stuff probably than I am anyway, so that's the blessing of it. Um, so um, with that, we'll pick it up in Hebrews 10, starting in verse 16, and we'll read down to verse 25. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So I think it's really important and it's almost in this text, it's like a gloss over in a way, the way way it's, it's written, but to understand the veil and the importance of the veil. You know, uh, as many of you guys know, maybe to ad nauseum, I grew up in northeast Philadelphia. um, And and Philadelphia has different neighborhoods, different sections. um, And it's funny when I meet somebody who says they're from Philadelphia, I say, oh, which part? And that kind of distinguishes, you know, if they really are. Because sometimes they kind of cower and bow their heads and say, well, outside of Philadelphia. I'm like, oh, you know, sinner. Um, But (laughs) they're... uh, I mean, they lied. That, let's just be, anyway. Um, but when you find somebody who says, oh, this section. And it's, you know, we were at a, a marriage conference in the fall. And someone said, you know, I, he, he said, I couldn't help but overhear you said you're from Philadelphia. He said, oh, yeah. He said, well, we're from Philadelphia. What part? He said, what part? I said, oh, what block? What street? You know, like, you, when you get that granular, because that's how the neighborhoods are. And it's interesting, too, as you look at it, the, even block by block, the, the houses are different. Um, some are similar, but I grew up in what's called a twin home. So it's basically a big block split in half. They're they're connected. It's a twin. The front doors are on the side of the house. Um, in this part, on on our side of the well, on this block, you go up steps. There's a little tiny hill, which was always a pain to do the lawnmower because it's just enough to be like annoying. You could push the lawnmower up and it fall back down. You push it back up, falls back down. You know, it was, it was such a, a small piece of grass to cut. Um, And then you had, so if my front door was here, so here's the house, your front door faced front door, side door, but front door, faced the other person's. And you had a strip of grass in between you, small sidewalk went to the backyards. There's a point to this, stay with me. These backyards were literally, again, like I loved mowing that lawn because it took me about four and a half minutes. You know, it was like doop, 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 doop. My uh, dad at one point, there was a part that was, uh, It used to be a garden, which cut down on what I had to cut. And then he said, ah, we're done with the garden. We're going to make grass. I was like, oh, great. So I had another minute and a half to my laborious uh, chores. But each yard had a gate, had a fence. And the fence was obviously to differentiate the boundaries of the property. But it was also to what? Keep people in, keep people out. Growing up. So let me, let me finish this. So if any of you are picturing what I'm saying, if you're not, you're just, you might as well look on your, your Bible app for a little bit till I'm done. So in this part of, our, of the city, then you had, you had your backyard. And in, on our side, you had a little bit of steps. You open the gate and you go out to the driveway. The driveway was shared by everybody along the block, but also then those across the block. So they were on the other block, but anyway. Driveways, we cross each other. So when you talk to somebody, oh, yeah, I lived on, oh, I lived across from you on the street. Or you'd say, oh, I lived across from you on the driveway. They'd have a different street. So the houses across from us, they didn't have the same setup. You could open your gate and just walk. You didn't have to climb up steps, walk right into the yard. The key was, so this back driveway was big enough where I had a basketball hoop back there. We played wiffle ball. Basketball sometimes will go where you don't want them to go, but wiffle balls definitely go where you weren't necessarily intending them to go. So they would go in people's yards. Um, also, to get to the next block, figure this. You, if you have to go, our house was in the middle of the block. So if I wanted to go to the next block, I either went out the back door into the driveway and walked all the way around. I, was, I, I had life to live. I couldn't waste time going all the way around to get to the other side. So then the key was knowing whose yard you could go through. (laughs) I know everybody gets that piece. Knowing whose yard you could get through because they invite you to go through. Hey, just as long as you close the gates. I I don't mind you going through my yard. Just close the gates. I was the gatekeeper. I was, my friends were the ones that would run through and just not care. I'd be like, close the gate behind me, close the gate, and then go. And I'm always, you know, a few steps behind everybody else. Um, And then there were the ones where you didn't have to open the gate because the gates were low enough, you could just hop them. Hop the fence, right? Hop the fence in. You know, if you did it too many times and you're like, okay, I I need to find the people who allow us to go through the gate. Um, But then there was those who were, you knew, because it's strategic, right? You know, it depends on where we were in the driveway. There were some families who were like, don't you go in my yard. If I catch you in my yard, I'm going to sick my dogs on you, like all this kind of stuff. So there were times where you'd be at the gate. And you'll be like, this is the yard I need to go through. <laughs> I mean, I know I could go a couple up or a couple down, but this is the gate. This is the yard I need to go through. So then you're looking, you're looking at the front door, I mean, the back door. Is anything moving? Are the curtains moving? Do I see any lights? Okay. If I pretend, see if I test it by pretending to see if the gate will open, you know. No, there's no sensitive, you know, security system on. Okay. And then it's like, okay, you get, you're kind of taking yourself, all right, if I'm going to do this, I need to do this. I need to be fast. I need to make sure that gate closes so they don't know I'm there, but not loud because they don 't know I'm there. it's all this strategic way of doing it um, and most times it was successful when it wasn 't you know you heard about it, but they couldn 't catch you anyway. but this was the the construct of our neighborhoods, and different houses were constructed different ways, so you had to know how the neighborhoods worked. The next block over from that block, they had completely different houses, different backyards. Um, it was always frustrating and confusing when you get to a gate and you're like, why isn't this opening? And they, they put a lock on it. When did the lock get on this? Or they put some kind of tether around it to, so you couldn't go through because they were tired of you darn kids going through their yard. And then the dog gets out or somebody's dog gets in and does stuff that they don't want in their yard. You know, all these kinds of things, intricate ways for us, you know eight-year-old kid to be mindful of. But the point of all of that, the, the fences were there for... To make those boundaries, to make those, for us to know, hey, this is mine, this is where I can be, this is not where you are supposed to be. This is my house, this is not your house. These are my boundaries, stay out. And so, I think it's really important for us as we, you know, hearing some of our prayers, um, even our prayers at the nine thirty when we got together and prayed there was still the same spirit moving. And I think it was still moving even amongst in during the worship during the prayer time that we had. but I think it is very important for us as brothers and sisters in Christ, whether it's being reminded of or just to kind of solidify or just magnify the the understanding of the veil. so we all know that you know when at the beginning and creation man had uh, all access to God right he was able to fellowship with God in the garden um, when sin came in that started that veil sin created this veil man created it and even it was evidence really when they realized that they were naked so what they do they made clothes for themselves they, they put already a barrier between them and God um, but in that then the Lord moved and uh cast them from the garden. And you know, this was due to the fact that a holy and righteous God could not fellowship with that which was unholy and was unrighteous. Um, and so the importance of this is understanding as we see it through the, the, the fabric of, of the Old Testament. You know, if we fast forward to in Exodus 19 where God is uh, saying to Moses, you know, he's Going to come down to the Mount Sinai. He's going to give him the Ten Commandments. And he says, You know, you need to make boundaries around the mountain. No one can come and touch it. If anyone touches it, they will die. The holiness of God was so pure and needed to stay pure, it could not intermingle with, with that which was unholy. And I'm going, to, I'm going to say that probably a couple times. But there 's that reverence that had to be had. why for God for, for him not to be you know not that this would happen, but the idea that, that he would be made unclean, but also for us, because we know in Romans 6:23 it says what for the wages of sin is death that's what we deserve for our sin. So that holiness in no way can intermingle with the unholiness. That's why God created that separation. And then we see the institution of the veil in uh, Exodus 26. And I'm going to read this, verses 31 through 34. Uh, This was in the tabernacle. He says, You shall make a veil woven of blue and purple and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. It shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. You shall hang it upon the four pillars of the Achaia wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be gold upon four sockets of silver and you shall hang the veil from the clasps. Then you shall bring the ark of the testimony in there behind the veil. The veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. You shall put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. And then we see when we move to When Solomon builds the temple, the establishment of it in 1 Kings uh, chapter 8, and we'll start in verse 6, read 6 through 11, says, Then the priest brought in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple, to the most holy place, under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their two wings over the place of the Ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the Ark and its poles. The poles extended so that the ends of the poles could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary. But they could not be seen from outside. And they are there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord So that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So, and as was prayed, I mean, you guys in in a lot of ways already taught this sermon through some of our prayers, which is awesome. But someone prayed about being that priest. So at that time, the closest that you and I would be able to get would be the outer courts. We wouldn't be able to be in the Holy of Holies. That was for one time a year, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, where that high priest who would make sure he went through the ritual ceremonial cleansing brought in the, the sprinkling of the blood, that sacrifice to atone for the sins of the nation, that one time a year. Um <clears throat> So that veil, once sin entered the world, signified that separation between God and man. That signified that we could come no closer than a certain point to God. I think this is something that in a lot of ways that could be foreign to us. I know that we as New Testament church, New Testament believers, kind of gotten past that. But I think it's really to understand You know, when we we talk about grace, I think it's to understand more of grace, we have to understand more of why there is grace and how we got to this point. To be able to understand that our sin separated us from God. And we all know that. Yeah, yeah, we know, we know, Bill. Hopefully this isn't going to be a message of my sin. It's not a message of, of condemnation, sin, but it's understanding the depths of it. And to understand the depths of the distance that we have with God. We had with God, thankfully. Um, and that's why I'm really belaboring this point. You know, that veil being the, sep- the, the symbol of that separation. And thankfully, but then came Jesus. Right? So he came into the world and he was born as Messiah. And he was really that first glimpse that we had of the removal of this veil, of that separation between us and God. You know, back at at, Sinai, Lord said, don't let them come near. But then Jesus said, what? Come unto me. That invitation was given. Before the people could draw near with their works, with their obedience to God. But Jesus gave that invitation, which really was the spirit of the gospel. And to the point, honestly, where we know we have become that temple. So, Again, that veil, that separator, that thing that pushed us, that kept us distant from God has now been removed. So we see in Matthew 27, 50, 51 for when, you know, this time when Jesus was on the cross and he said, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So because our high priest with this total and final sacrifice to atone for sin, he walked into the Holy of Holies and tore the veil which is his flesh and that final work of redemption was complete. So that separating legal ordinance was abolished. So now the Holy of Holies has been open to all believers. In 2 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You know, that's why I think our, our prayers and our cries for those who are not close to God or, or don't even know God are so strong. Because we understand that there's that veil between them. You know, they see, they're seeking out peace. They're seeking out joy, hope, love. All these things that we know we have access to. The veil has been torn for us. But for many, they're still walking around with that veil. Sadly. But It's true. So, we understand that sin shuts out prayer we, and it shuts out praise. We know if we have sin in our lives as believers, does that separate us from God? No, it doesn't separate us from God. Because nothing can separate us from God, right? Paul tells us in Romans, nothing. Nothing. In our humanness, we will kind of shy away, you know, if we're walking in a way that we shouldn't be or convicted and not responding in that conviction. But nothing separates us from God. Something may uh, create distance, but it doesn't separate us. You know, for some who who are walking in some kind of sin um, that they know that they should repent of and and, um, change their ways, they're going to maybe hear less of God's voice. They're going to desire to hear less of God's voice. You know, we know that sin is like leprosy. It kind of deadens the senses to the point where you become callous to it. Um, I'm sure none of you have experienced this, but this is something that I've experienced many times in my life um, as uh, calling myself a believer and yet walking in sin and justifying sin or just hiding from God. And you know, in his justice and in his grace and in his mercy, And all those things combined with his love, and yet I was not killed, and yet I'm still here. And I'm able to talk with you and encourage you and be encouraged by you. I mean, this is the grace of God. Um, Yeah, so this is why the author of Hebrews wrote in uh, verses 16 and 18. This is a covenant that I will make with them after those days says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds. I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there's remission of these, there's no longer an offering for sin. Spurgeon said in regards to this, he said, when this is the case, when the will of God is inscribed on the heart and the nature is entirely changed, then is the dividing veil which hides us from God taken away. Blessed are the pu- pure in heart, for they shall see God. So, the author of Hebrews is reminding the Jewish believers that the laws and the ordinances for which they were once under are no longer valid or necessary. Jesus satisfied the requirements of the high priest by going into the Holy of Holies as the Perfect, spotless Lamb and atoned for the sins of the world. Hebrews 10 14, just a couple of verses before our text says, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So this separating veil was torn. Jesus bridged the gap and the gulf is completely filled. Spurgeon also said this For believers, the veil is not rolled up but rent. The veil was not unhooked and carefully folded and put away so that it might be put in its place at some future time. Oh no. But the divine hand took it and rent it from top to bottom. It can never be hung up again. It is impossible. I don't know about you. I have in my notes, Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. So maybe, let me, I know we're being a little bit Baptist this morning, but let me, let me read. So the divine hand took it and rent it from top to bottom. It can never be hung up again. Amen. I didn't want to coerce that or anything, but I just felt like, all right, guys, this is something that's pretty big. This is important. This is, this is that understanding of we could not get close to God at one point. Our, our friends and our brothers and sisters, our loved ones who are, are on the other side of the veil, I don't understand why I can't hear from God. I've had somebody say that to me who thinks that they are seeking God in their way. How come you hear from them and I don't? How come you have this and I don't? I don't understand this. I don't understand why a loving God would allow this to happen to a child, to my wife, to my brother, I'm not saying those thoughts might not enter into our minds at some point. But we have the answer to that. That brings a peace that surpasses all understanding. And um, if we're being honest with ourselves, there's sometimes where we know the answer, understand the answer, but it just ain't working. You know, there's been times where I have been in pain crying out to God saying, I know your word says this, but... But, but God, it hurts. I don't understand. I thought you said you love me. This doesn't feel like love. Why aren't you doing it my way? Why can't it be this or that? The blessing is if we continue to seek God. We're not knocking him off his throne, right? He's not like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you said that in my presence. You know, sometimes we get a little haughty and, and, and righteous when we're talking to somebody and they might use some colorful language and we get, oh my, But the fact of the matter is that person is is in need, desperate need of the Lord. And oftentimes we are the hands and feet. I think that's even more crucial to understand. If the Lord is not alive in your life, if there's some fragment of the veil still in within your heart, you are not providing the, the, the correct, the proper, the necessary imaging of God to someone else. You know? If you're one that wants to go in and tell somebody why they're wrong and throw scripture at them, unless the Holy Spirit is leading you, that's not the way to go about it. Jesus didn't do that anyway to those who are hurting. What did he do? He loved on them. Loved on them in his way, right? To some it was compassion. To some it was they were crying, he cried with them. To others it was truth in love. But that's why it's so important for us to understand that veil has been torn. Don't allow any piece of that veil to be reconstructed. And understand too, he tore the veil. We are the ones that make that feeble attempt whether we realize it or not to start sewing it back up. And it's not possible. Uh, the commentators Jameson Fawcett and Brown said this before it was death to go into the holy of holies now it's death to stay out I think it's important also to understand that that veil was torn we know for, for you for me but it was also torn for the Jews it was also torn for the Muslims it was torn for atheists it was torn for that person that you can't stand It's torn for that person on the road who just cut in front of you and then waved to you in a funny way. (laughs) That veil was torn for all of us. As you go through all of Hebrews and this plea that the author is giving to say why to not go back to the ordinances, the, the former law, because these Hebrew believers no longer were under that. And the writer goes in depth about this. That would mean more to them in that sense of understanding the customs. And the things that were, were fulfilled through Jesus as the high priest. Perfection through Jesus being that high priest. Again, remember once a year only the high priest could go through. And he better make sure that he has been gone through all the, the, the steps that he needs to go through. Before he goes into that holy of holies. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I almost get a feeling of a little bit of anxiety when I put myself in that position, thinking of being in that time. What if I was the high priest and I was the one once a year that had to go in the presence of God? You know, we are a little more casual with it. Like we, yeah, Lord, you know, pour out your, your blessings and yeah, we'd love to fellowship with you. And, and, you know, but then it was so reverent. And this priest had to make sure everything was meticulously done To the T. Talk about fear and trembling. I don't even, I don't, I don't even know. I don't even know how I would even imagine that. To lift that veil. To go in with the sacrifices. I think because it was the high priest and because of them having a, and you know, I think it, It's easy for us to say, oh, well, all of them didn't know God back then because they, you know, that's why Jesus had to come and all that. But no, there were true believers in Yahweh. And I believe that year that that high priest spent in that position, I think it was all in preparation for that one moment. Because you had to make sure you were were in right with God. So there is that reverence that we need to have as we go into the presence of God. So going on in our text in verse 21, it says, And having a high priest over the house of God, because of all these things that were already said, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Again, referring back to the ceremony that would happen when they went into the Holy of Holies. They brought, they sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat. They were ceremonially washed. Because Jesus was our high priest and he did that. The writer says, let us draw near. There is no veil. That legal and spiritual right to go into the presence of God. We have, now have that invitation to do that. And to understand that, that's why we can draw near with a true heart. In full assurance. See, this is the thing that, again. again, that encouragement for you guys. This is where we need to make sure our foundations are solid. You know, you go around your house checking to see if everything's in good condition, good shape. For a reason. You know, you start seeing a crack in a foundation. That might be uh, something you want to take care of. At least monitor. That's why it's so important for our faith to go and to see, okay, do I have this solidified in my mind or do I keep in one way or another bringing a veil back into the equation with God? I see it as this and, you know, I'm always trying to put myself in this position or how I can understand it better. And I kind of see it as, you know, I have this full assurance to be go before God because of all these things, not only because of the word of God that was said, you know, these Jesus fulfilled all these things to understand that. But the idea I have is if you've ever been accused of something, whether it's legally or just personally, and you have resounding proof that you're innocent. I don't know if you have a situation. I was kind of picturing something like that in my head. Um, With what I do and work, we've had audits over the years. And when they come up with an audit finding, you know, initially it's that uh, shock and whatever, you know, you're, you're, stomach is in your throat and it's a uh, blood pressure goes up and all these things start going crazy the machines start going off but then you find the the backup for that so when you stand before you present the order I'm like no you know you stand a little bit higher you know especially to your you know co-workers and yeah we got this here's the proof you're wrong this is my this is my assurance that I I am right before this scenario I am reconciled to whatever it is, this accusation that you're bringing before me. This is how I picture us being able to go into the Holy of Holies. And I actually visualize, and this has been more recent, because I've struggled with this, honestly. I've struggled with a lot of issues. Um, Being newly married, uh, a new job, we're moving on Friday. A lot of stresses that are associated with all of these things. And then my mind starts to, you know, the, the, I'm looking more this way. You know, the wind and the waves are grabbing my attention more than the vertical. Keep my eyes on the Lord. My patience is a little bit less. Um, frustrations. Faith. And there's been times where I've gone into, to the Lord and just feeling that sense of unworthiness. Probably listening a little too much to the enemy's voice. And I picture, and I don't, uh, the Lord must have done this. It was in a quiet time. It was, as I was preparing for this as well, picturing going up to the veil. And for Jesus coming and intercepting me and putting a robe on me, his robe. Pure white robe of Righteousness. And just taking his blood and just wiping it on the doorpost of my forehead. And I just walk into the Holy of Holies. And that reminder of it has nothing to do with my work. I don't know if any of you are there or have recently been there. I sometimes have to fight to get out of there. That thought process of I failed again. Darn it Lord. Lord. It could even be things like you had an opportunity to minister to somebody, to witness to somebody, and it just went by. One thing I like to remind myself and others when they start beating themselves up about that is that the Lord wasn't like, oh, there was the one opportunity. You blew it. This person is damned to hell forever because you blew it. Our, Our God is much bigger than that, much greater. You know, if he was a one and done God, this would be a quiet room <laughs> and no body heat. So it's good to be reminded of those things, especially to remind the enemy of those things when he's whispering that garbage in your ear. Hebrews four fifteen to sixteen says this <clears throat> for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore Come boldly to the throne of grace. See, our confidence and our assurance that is that the law has been fulfilled based on the work of Christ. And that's why we can come boldly before his throne. So in verse 23 of our text, he says, So let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So the writer's encouragement is to seize, to take possession of this hope. And I like, I don't remember when it was within the last month or so that Pastor Greg had said, uh, you know, feed your faith, starve fear. Do you remember that? And I just, I just kind of went with it because it that just really ministered to me. And I just started listing it out. Feed your faith, starve fear. Feed your faith and starve lies. Feed your faith, starve anxiety. Feed your faith, starve pride. Feed your faith and starve foolishness. Feed your faith and starve anger. Feed your faith and starve bitterness. Feed your faith and starve doubt. Feed your faith and starve selfishness. Feed your faith and starve the enemy's voice. The list could go on. And uh, I encourage you to make your own list. Especially something that's specific to your life. That you need to really starve out. Such a great exercise. Um, As I've told you in the past. I used to make calendar pop-ups for me for that. I've actually got back into that. For something for in my life. That I I need to, to be working on. But. The importance of and why I repeat it each time is to be reminded that we need to feed our faith. If we're not feeding our faith, it's going to be hard to starve the other things. We need to bring strength to our faith. And that's why we do these things. That's why we come together, not only for the encouragement of one another, but to hear the word of God and what the Lord wants to speak to all of us as a body. We're not just sitting here just hearing a message and then we're going on with our day. And, you know, although the food and the fellowship is great, that's not why we're here. We're here to be in one mind And unity together. When there is that, if we're disjointed, there's going to be a friction. There's going to be a problem. I know people do things differently, and I'm, you know, I'm not an introvert apparently. But it's important if you've got something against somebody, speak to them. Speak to them. Go in love. Pray about it ahead of time, because it's holding you back and it's holding the fellowship back. And we could list these things out. You know, some of us is just personalities. Some personalities don't mesh well with others. But we're called to love one another. We're not necessarily called to hold hands and tiptoe through the tulips. But we are called to love one another. And so each of us has to do our part to work on that. And that ain't something that's going to come by doing it in the flesh. It's the spirit of the living God within us that enables us. Enables us even to come here on Sunday mornings, honestly. But enables us to have a desire even to follow God. Even to try to love one another. So hold fast. Without being moved from these truths. You know, if he's saying it, it means that it's, this is going to happen. We're going to waver. We're going to, our faith is going to be shaken. But that's why it's important to hold fast. The word in the Greek is to, it's to cling. It's to, you know, grab a hold of. With an understanding of its importance, its significance. And I think it's also, as we, as I allude to earlier, you know, as it says, for he who promised is Faithful. Our God is faithful. And all of us would say amen to that. The Baptists would have said amen, preach on brother. At that point. But, uh, but we know that. Again, we need to feed that. But the problem is, is that our humanness gets in the way, right? As I was saying before. Sometimes our prayers aren't answered the way we want them. Or as quickly. We're not patient We won't say out loud that we think we're God, but we come up with some pretty good ideas that we think he should listen to. And uh, I think that gets in the way. That gets in the way of coming to God. That's almost like a veil. When we come to the Lord's presence with all these things, again, I visualize things. I've got all these things in my arms. All right, Lord, you know, let's go with number one here. I could really use this, and this, and here's that, and this, and that, and that, and that, and that. And it's just, and he wants us to come. He wants us to pour out all these things upon him. But he wants to cast our cares on him, and for us to take his burden on us, that yoke upon us, and let him do the work. But so often we're like, no, Lord, we got it. We got it. You can, you're here, but we, we got it. Instead of that full, complete surrender. So with all these things being true the last action item that uh, the writer of Hebrews gives us in in verse 24 says and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some but exhorting one another and so much more the day as you see the day approaching. Many are still worshiping God from afar. Maybe some in here too. You haven't really breached the proverbial veil. You might be still in your religiosity of, you know, going through the motions and, you know, coming to church on Sunday because it's what you should do. I don't think many people come to a building that looks like this on a Sunday because they think they should do. They probably would go to more of a traditional looking church with a steeple and all that stuff. But um, our church is pretty nonetheless. But I'm saying... You don't find many religious people want to go to church, come here. But anyway, bunny <laughs> trail that I'm controlling. Um, but the fact is that many people are still doing that. They're still worshiping outside. They're still going through the motions. And I don't think that's like a one and done thing. We're like, okay, I've torn, the veil is torn and therefore I've got the greatest relationship with God that's possible. No, this is something that needs to be maintained. We all know that. But that's why it's so important that we come together. He said, if we need, we need to consider one another in order to stir up love, that agape and good works. If we're not in that spot, then we are less likely to do anything for one another, to consider one another. This is where we end up getting more focused on ourselves, right? It's very easy to get focused on ourselves, especially when there's a lot going on in our lives. There are some who that's just their MO. It's all about them. They come to church, they might be, you know, fellowshipping with us, but let me tell you all of my stories and let me tell you all the great things I've done. And, and they're, maybe they're looking for validation at this level instead of realizing who they really are in Christ They get their validation from him. But if you're not feeding that faith, I'm not gonna desire to know how you guys are doing. I'm not gonna desire to, to meet new people or to, to, you know, show the love of God. I'm gonna come in, I'm gonna get to the front of the food line Realize most of it's not gluten-free, so I move very quickly through the food line. So if you're behind me, you don't have to worry about that. But, and I'm not going to care. I'm going to get my food. I'm going to do my thing. And I'm not going to want to get to know, hey, how's this going in your life? How's that going in your life? And I think that's a blessing of, of this fellowship is that we like, the, we like the fellowship. And hopefully it doesn't just stay here. But many are worshiping from afar. And Jesus said in, in Matthew 15, He was quoting Isaiah Matthew 15, 8 9, he said, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandment of men. The veil has been torn. There is no longer a temple or a priest that we have to go through to the point that God has said, Come unto me, to the point to the fact that God has said, You are my temple. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So because of this indwelling that we have, the fruit of the Spirit dwells within us. For some, this might be like such a daunting thought. Of, oh, I got to care about somebody else. I got to ask somebody how they're doing. Oh, I can't stand. Like, There's some people who can't stand that deep connection, maybe because there's damage in your life. And, and I understand that. There's some people who can't stand the surface level stuff. They just... They can't do it. They, they literally just will clamp up and be like, I see no value in surface level stuff. I want to talk about how when you're, you know, when your dad, when you were growing up, you know, caused you to, da, 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 you know, referencing me. But, you know, like some people are like that. But the point is, is that we all have to love on each other. So the surface level people have to be willing to go deep and not run away. You know, run away, run away. They see it coming. They know that person. Oh, when they ask how I'm doing, it doesn't mean good how you doing. It means tell me about your life and why you're struggling and all those things. And you run away from them. And the other people see sometimes the surface level people like, oh, Lord, in Jesus' name, give me the strength to endure talking about the weather, sports, and my car. In Jesus' name. But we all yet, the Lord's brought us together, Right? We need to find value. I need to find value in what you like and what you are interested in and what you, what's going on in your life. But vice versa, and I think the reminder is, but you also need to do that to someone else. That's how we create family. That's how it's not just here and then we're out. It's gotta be something that is a part of our lives, granular in our lives. And we do this too because it says to encourage one another to stir up love and good works the word in the greek is to incite to get them excitable you know not everybody is excitable not everybody is some people are just very mellow and that's how they are that doesn't mean they're any less interested it's just they're mellow they're you know they kind of have a, a flat way of talking and that's okay that's how god made them and that's okay with them and then there's some people who are just so uh, dynamic and dramatic And all these things that the other people might not really enjoy, but they have to understand that they're part of the family of God and therefore we all need to work together. But in that, the Lord has called us together. Hey, guess what's going on? You know, for us, we prayed, should we move? And the neighbor we were ministering to passed away. And then our landlord said, we're selling the property. Pretty, pretty good uh, answer to prayer. We were hoping to stay another year where we were, but it was a pretty good answer to prayer. But let me tell you how, and I could go on, I struggled in some areas. Busyness of job. Again, talking about new marriage, trying to work together, coming together as one. The stress of every time you go to a property and then you see it, you like it, you go to try to apply for it, it's already gone. And going through that many times while you're still trying to work, so I all these things. And so, you know, getting frustrated, letting it beat down, realizing that I've taken that weight on my shoulders instead of keep giving it to the Lord. And then the times where I had to remind myself, wait, Lord, but you've got a perfect place. You've got a perfect plan. I hope I'm listening because I'm just trying to encourage myself. <laughs> and sometimes it would go well and then it would be like, boom, go down. Lord, why are you doing this? Where can blah, blah. and the blaming and the, and throwing these accusations at the Lord and I'm struggling. And that's affecting my work. It's affecting my marriage. It's affecting my relationship with my my sons. And then I start, I'm less ministering to each other. One Sunday I actually came in and left as soon as it was done. There was no friction to it either. I was able just to leave. So you can take that how you want with that. But I think you know that I'm always going to be transparent and be real. And I, in that, but the Lord is faithful. Yeah. See, if we're gonna stop at that point of where like the, you know, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. <laughs> if we're stopping there, there's a problem. Don't let yourself stop there. If you're reaching out, hey, I need prayer. Let the end of that story be, hey, and I reached out to a brother, I reached out to a sister and we prayed and they prayed for me and I just needed that. Or give a testimony. Hey, guess what? It was a little bit of labor getting the house that we're getting. But we got it. Praise God. So that stress is gone. And when we're done moving, then the rest of that stress will be gone. But to be able to continue to give it to the Lord. And for him to be faithful because I did struggle. I was frustrated. Lord, why all these things? For those who know my Joshua, he was in a car accident uh, Tuesday night, I think it was. Total the car, he blacked out. Um, and he's fine. I got the call. Sometimes it's difficult to get the calls when I'm not the one to, to be there. Um, but he, he's okay. I said, okay, Lord. Uh, praise you, yeah, praise God. I hope you use this in his life. 18, about to graduate from high school uh, this Thursday, pray you grab a hold of him. And I always pray that, Lord, whatever way you have to grab a hold of my sons, I pray it's not tragic but whatever way you need to, please, please continue to pursue them. Please make them realize how desperately they need you. And he's faithful to do it. But those are the prayers that we need to be encouraging each other with. If you have those, you need to encourage with those. And I would encourage you not to make it a whole complete story about you, but how the Lord's working, and it's okay. I mean, I'm not saying that's a bad thing to to talk about things. But you know, in Ecclesiastes five two, that's where God says, you know, do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven, and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Sometimes it's better to, less to be said, and even in prayer. You know, thinking about this as we're going into the holy of holies. And I'm sometimes have been uh, guilty of this, but are we praying to a holy God or are we preaching to the church? You know, I think sometimes we kind of intermingle them. Some people like to be the preacher and they haven't been asked to be the preacher through their prayers. But I think it's important for us to realize that reverence that we need to have before God. That's why I think it's so sweet and it doesn't have to be every time. We're adults. We know the spirit of living God is moving amongst us. But those times sometimes when we sit in that prayer and it's like kind of a, stillness where we're just quiet before the Lord. Our words are few at that point. Lord, what do you have? What are you saying to your body? What should I be crying out for? What do you want to hear from your children? But I think it's also important to be reminded that we need to do it with a childlike faith. We need to understand the reverence that we need to have for God. Yes, he's allowed us to call him brother and friend, but I do not want to treat him like I treat one of my friends. So for me, I, I kind of shy away from that analogy, but to understand that we are coming before a holy God who paid him a, a massive price for us to come into his presence because he loves us. He wants to empower us. He wants us to draw near to him. Isn't that mind-blowing? The creator wants us to draw near to him. And then he wants to pour into us so that we can pour out to each other, to encourage one another, so that we can be praying for grandchildren. We can be praying for spouses, and we can be praying for those who are, are, you know, the the prodigals. Dear Lord, save our prodigals. But he's faithful. But we do this to encourage one another, to incite each other to love and good works. If you're coming here and you don't have any of this going on, please talk to somebody. And not in any kind of judgmental way or, or whatever, it's, maybe there's something off in your in your walk or understanding. Or maybe you just kind of isolate yourself and you shouldn't be doing that. I think it's an amazing blessing that we have a body that loves the Lord and is willing to love on you. And I know there's trust issues. We know that people have trust issues. I'm one of those silly people or however you want to label me, I'll tell you everything. And, uh, Some might call that foolish and uh, it might embarrass others. But to me, it's like, hey, here it is. I want to get real. And uh, I'll I'll stop trusting you when you show me that I should stop trusting you. I know there are others who are like, you need to show me for at least 10 to 15 years that I can trust you. (laughs) And once that's done, then we'll go through a review process, (laughs) which will be about two years. And then an audit. You don't know what I've been through. I know you. I don't. You don't know everything I've been through. You know a lot of it because I, like I said, I <laughs> I've got mouth opening issues, but um, but in that, I mean, the blessing is that we have been washed, we have been cleansed by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, as our high priest, as the veil that was torn. That veil was removed because of Jesus. So I guess my question to you is through all these things is, where are you? Where are you in your worship of the Lord? Are you worshiping in the outer courts? Being there, but not really being in there? Are you worshiping from a distance? Where And from time to time, it's okay. I didn't feel condemned that Sunday that I just left. Didn't talk with anybody. And that's okay sometimes. But as long as you follow that up with talking with somebody... You know, it's so important to not allow those seeds of bitterness to take root or seeds of discontentment or upset or strife, but to really root them out. Seek the things that God wants you to seek. But where are you worshiping? So I would encourage you today through the week, take that time to feed your faith. I would say sit down. If you're someone who likes to write, I like to write things out so I can see it and it gets in my head more when I write it out. But writing out areas where you could feed your faith more and what needs to be starved out of your life. Another one I'll just add real quick since we're talking about the laws and ordinances, feed faith, starve legalism. It's so easy to be legalistic hard part about that is then we go into the presence of God with some kind of legalistic idea. I'm not worthy enough. I don't think many of us go into it saying, oh, <laughs> you picked a good one, Lord. <laughs> I think oftentimes we go in with this legal condemnation from the enemy. And it's good that we can acknowledge I'm not worthy, but we don't need to be beating ourselves with a, you know, a whip. Saying I'm not worthy. That's already been done. That's already been handled. But look for areas where you can starve those veils in your life that's keeping you from the presence of the living God. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful. We are grateful, Lord, for how you work I think it's probably easy for us to say it in that way now that we're on the other side of the veil but thinking of even how awesome it is to see that picture of how that separation between you and man was laid out and walked out and why the desperate need for Jesus Christ coming into the world as our Messiah enduring what he endured He just didn't hang on the cross to die and rise again. But he did that to fulfill all of the law, all of the ordinances, all of the things that kept us from a holy God. And by your Holy Spirit living within us, we have been made worthy. We have been cleansed. It doesn't matter what we've done. We have been cleansed by the perfect blood of the Lamb. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each person here today. Show them the areas where they need to feed their faith. Maybe they're struggling with doubt. Maybe don't fully understand the depths of what you did for them to be able to come into your presence to talk to you. Maybe their childlike faith has grown up way too much and that that child is no longer a part of the equation. And Lord, I pray that you would show us where to starve things out of our lives and not only starve them out, Lord, but to desire to starve them out. All this only comes from you. So Lord, we draw near to you. We come to you with hands open, ready to receive. We thank you so much, Lord, that we can come to you. We can call you Abba, Father, Daddy. And Lord, that nothing, nothing separates us from your love. I pray that that would empower us Not only to walk out our faith, but to spread the gospel to the dying world around us. Thank you for being such a good father. We love you. We praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.